0: Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can.
1: Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Today, we bring you Leah Pinelli. Leah has extensive background as an educator, dean of students, and assistant principal. And Leah's passion within education really relies within her experience as a Dean, as she saw so many students repeatedly coming to her for discipline concerns. Within these times of concerns, she noticed a pattern, a pattern that these students were oftentimes boys, of course there were girls involved as well, but they were struggling, struggling academically and she identified a number of needs and how they weren't getting met throughout the years of their educational career, if you will. So today we bring you Leah and some of her insights into what she's seen. And we're going to take you a bit from what it is like to be on the high school level, needing to connect with your students. So that way they wanna to come to school decreasing that likelihood that if they are struggling academically that they are there to connect with you and try and focus and just try and use the resources that they have, which then of course allows you to give them the opportunity to learn new skills and strategies. So thank you so much Leah for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Can you talk to us a bit about your experiences as a Dean and as it as it relates to to behaviors.
2: Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, you know what? Um, one of the things actually is that I was just thinking that I didn't share with you, but it relates to my being a Dean is that I actually struggled tremendously in high school. Um, I was a perpetual truant. And if you're not familiar with that term, it means that I cut class constantly. I was. We didn't have a Dean at my high school, but if we did, I would have been the kid in the Dean's office all the time. Um, And um, it's one of the reasons why I became an educator was because for me in high school, I did not have an adult that um, I felt like really cared for me. My parents cared for me, but they didn't know what to do with me. That was very different. And I was a teenager. I didn't want to be around my parents. I didn't respect them, you know, all of those things that teenagers do. But there weren't any adults at my high school to help me navigate, you know, like, Adolescents. It's such a hard time, right? It's confusing. All of these things are happening with us. And so part of the reason, um, one of the biggest reasons I became an educator to begin with was because I really wanted to be an adult that was um, an advocate for kids who were struggling. And um, not just an advocate, but an adult who cared uh, enough to really connect with kids who were having a hard time at school. Um, And I know a lot of educators go into it because they love their content. They really want to teach math or whatever. But I was like, no, I just want to connect with kids who are struggling. So when I had an opportunity to um, apply for a position as a Dean of Student Discipline, I took it because I'm like, those are my kids, right? Those are my favorite kids to work with Um, because I really believe that um, every child really needs at least one adult that knows them and um, cares for them deeply at school. Um, And so um, I... As a dean, um, I had that opportunity, right, to get to work with teens in that way, teens who are really struggling. And what I noticed, as you mentioned, was there was a you know, huge uh, reality of disproportionality in terms of who was coming through the dean's office. And it's no surprise if you're paying attention in education that the kids who were coming through my office were often repeatedly coming through my office, like you said. And yeah. they were disproportionately boys and boys who are also classified as special education boys. And also um, because of the disproportionality within special education, I was also seeing higher numbers of boys of color. Um, I would definitely see girls and I would definitely see white and Asian kids, uh, but um, but they were the minority in my office compared to the number of boys that I was seeing.
1: why do you think that is? What is it that they were not getting that you think that they really needed?
2: Yeah, you know, um, I think that our school system is really set up to um to for achievement but student achievement the definition of student achievement i don't actually think is synonymous with student learning and student growth unfortunately and i think there's a lot of reasons for that that we probably don't want to get into here right but um, i think that um it's unfortunate and i think that there are very few educators that would disagree with me on this The way that the system is actually set up now is it's very much in this kind of conveyor belt fashion where we need to get these huge numbers of kids through and ready, college ready um, in this really short amount of time. And so what we've done is we really had to, over the years, over the decades, tease out all of the, what we might call extras or electives, right? So we tease out the things that foster curiosity, that foster creativity, that foster innovation, and foster exploration and imagination. We have had to tease all of those out because we need things we can measure. And, you know, there there aren't necessarily metrics for creativity. There aren't metrics for curiosity, but there are metrics for math and English. And, you know, so for all of those things, we have, um, our system is really driven to prioritize those things. And therefore, Eliminate those other pieces um, that really truly foster learning and how we learn and how we become lifelong learners and contributing members of society right like we've we've teased those out of our system, and so I think what happens um, and and I think this actually starts to happen at a very young age, and I know i've seen this as a parent of a boy. Um, and again, i'm I am speaking in huge generalizations here when I'm using any kind of gendered term like boy or girl. But um, in my experience, what I noticed um, was that when Covid hit, and all of a sudden schooling came into our kitchens, and I was watching schooling happen and then getting the curriculum from the teacher in the first grade. and and the the schedule for the day was one hundred percent reading and writing and arithmetic and there was no art and there was no nature and there was no science and there was no discovery and there was no imagination and there was, all of that was gone and I emailed the teacher and it was no fault of her own right she had a job to do but but when I said where did these things go and she said oh well they're embedded and I know what that means I know what it means when we say it's embedded it means we as teachers are doing double duty trying to squeeze in what right. we believe is important right. but also trying to teach the standards that we have to teach to And so what happens is I think when we eliminate those things, we kill this love of learning that children have inherently. We kill their curiosity and we tell them they have to sit down in this chair and you have to listen and regurgitate because I need you to pass this test on Friday, right? And so I think that that's what happens is then boys end up, I'm I'm speaking of boys in particular because of the disproportionality at the dean's office. I think what happens is then boys decide like, I don't really like this place, um, especially because boys need more movement they need more um kinesthetic learning and we don't have space for that anymore so then what happens is they tend to act out more and then they get redirected more by their teachers and then when they're redirected more by their teachers they believe their teachers don't like them and when they believe that their teachers don't like them then they don't really enjoy school anymore and so it's this whole kind of domino effect that then later on can lead to in high school or even before high school landing in the dean's office because you've decided school isn't for you. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's a whole linear type of um, reaction. And it's that constant experience of feeling like a failure, thinking that you're bad when really we need to increase the resources, the resources for educators and the resources for students. And so if we were able to have
2: additional resources
1: for both educators and students, what do you think those resources might look like?
2: This is where it gets so tricky when it comes to um, resources, because there actually have been times where, you know, there have been studies that have shown that more money doesn't always equal better outcomes. I believe in that wholeheartedly, yes. Yeah. And it's frustrating because we want that to be the answer. We want to just be like, if we could just throw more money at it, that would be the answer. Right. But I think it's more nuanced than that. And um, I think that what it comes down to, honestly, is almost like the energetic resource of the adults in the building. And and what I mean by that is um, I think that there are certain fundamentals that don't cost money. When it comes to what we can do differently in schools, and and the first one is really helping all adults who come into education in the first place, helping them all to understand that the number one and i I might be making this up, but I'm going to say it anyway. The number one most impactful thing that you can do as an as a as an adult who cares about a kid is to establish an authentic and meaningful connection with that child to show that child that you actually care about them. Because when a child feels like you care about them, then they are primed to learn from you. But you and I both know, because I'm sure, Lisa, you probably had teachers that you didn't like, and you weren't about to learn a thing from them, right? Or, and and there, there are some exceptions to that rule. There are teachers that we don't like, and we actually can learn quite a bit from. But generally speaking, when teachers really know how to, and are encouraged to, and are given the space to, And to establish a connection with students, um, that in and of itself can work wonders. Now, but here's the thing is, I cannot establish a meaningful connection with all 180 of my kids, right? If I have 180 kids, I can't expect they're all gonna feel a connection with me. And in fact, that would be huge. That would be overwhelming for me maybe, right? But if when we talk about student to faculty ratios, then if we have enough staff, enough of a diverse staff, and when I say diverse, I do mean racially, socioeconomically, I mean, so many factors in terms of background, having a diverse staff so that even if I have Joey in my classroom and Joey doesn't connect with me, Joey might connect with the basketball coach. Joey might connect with the school-based therapist. Joey might connect with the secretary at the front, right? Um, But having enough adults um, in proportion to the number of kids and then also creating spaces for students and adults to um, connect in relaxed environments so it's not about you're here to study and learn and then you go home but instead having the resources to have school events or to have um, you know a chill room for kids and, and adults alike or places where there's proximity and and mingling among um, students and staff so that they can actually know, like, and trust each other.
1: We're talking about a number of things here. You're (laughs) using SEL in a lot of what you're saying, really between the social part, the connecting part.
0: But first, we want
1: to go back to the funding because you're right. Funding is not something of a solution that is going to absolutely have positive outcomes in my opinion give me yours tell us what you think in my opinion i think that is a lot of money being given in a system that is used to being run in a certain way and that certain way yes isn't always working no matter how caring the individuals within the school system are I think the pivotal point here for funding to work is we need to educate ourselves on how children learn, Mm -hmm. what they need at what age, find that out, see what is not being delivered in the curriculum in each one of those grade levels, or even in elementary to middle school to high school, and then provide the professional development and use that funding for that specific
2: knowledge and skills that educators need. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that what you're saying makes sense. And I think that one of the things that I have heard a lot from teachers is that feeling of that it's it's not realistic, right? So, for example, if we know that, and, and we do know, right, that uh, especially um I'll use boys again as an example, but we know that boys from, you know, you know, toddlerhood up through elementary are going to learn best if they're able to touch and hands on and feel and climb and move and tumble and all of it. I think what what happens is, is we have teachers who say, well, that's not realistic. I can't possibly teach that way. Um, Or, that might be good for this group of boys, but that's not going to be good for this group of girls or for this group of non-binary kids or whatever it is. And so, how can I think? What ends up happening is, is teachers feel stretched so thin that they feel like they can't meet the expectations. So then, I think they do exactly what you were just saying, which is then they just revert back to like, well, this is how we've always done it, and right. we're just going to keep doing it that way.
1: Right, and really, because I'm a practitioner of it, I'm a creator yeah. of the resources too, and I'm an educator of how to use these. Social, emotional, and specific learning tools that it is, it, if, if you understand the cognitive skills that are needed from elementary to secondary, you find that it's just a way in teaching mm. and connecting, but mm. really where it's allowing the students to use the cognitive skills of positive self talk and how to focus and self-regulate that they start to feel a little bit more in control. And then so does the teacher. Just like you said something to me earlier, you said, we know how humans learn, Mm -hmm. but we're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And that I would imagine also is part of the conversations that you've had with some of your colleagues in, I don't have time for social emotional learning. Right. Right. So talk to, talk to us about, Oh, that hesitancy, that feeling of overwhelm or maybe even misunderstanding of what SEL is that
2: could help our listeners. um, Yeah, I think that that a lot of people think that, and this is what I've gotten feedback from teachers on as well, is this idea of like, oh, well now I have to be an SEL expert too because I'm already an expert in U.S. history. And so now I have to do that too. And I have to know how to manage a classroom, not, not realizing that it's not an addition. It is something that is integrated into what we're already doing. It is the actual embedded, right? Like the first grade teacher told me it's embedded, um, but it is truly, right? Because, but, but here's the thing is I think another, another thing that I've had teachers say to me is that they don't have good social emotional skills. And so then it's like, so now in order to be a teacher, I have to, I'm expected to teach something that I can't even really do for myself. And then how embarrassing that can be for some people to admit right? That they're not good at it either. Um, And so I think 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 that SEL has
1: been a buzzword for so long that people feel like they should know and really understand what it is. When in actuality, they haven't been trained. So what you're saying is they feel embarrassed or hesitant about it all or not saying I'm, I, I'm not open to learning more because they feel like they're so far behind this giant eight ball that yeah. I, how do I catch up? But it's yes. not fair to them. And I think that comes down to leadership, leadership showing even in their emails and what they provide in terms of professional development and what yeah. they emphasize to not only their educators, but yeah. to their support staff. And if you really want to know, I also think it belongs in the cafeteria, cafeteria workers and custodians and building yeah. lots, but we can start smaller, support staff and teachers.
2: Right, right. Well, you know, I'm just thinking, <laughs> Lisa, when you said that, was that, um, I have a couple of clients now who are uh, therapists and they have shared, and you may have heard therapists say this, as well like people think that because you're a therapist or a psychologist that then you should just have everything perfectly all together because you're a therapist right and so your kids should be perfect and your life should be perfect you know or, or like a doctor for example a medical doctor where people will think you know well how could that doctor like you know we've know doctors who are smokers like well how could that doctor be a smoker he's a doctor how could he be how could she be overweight if she's a doctor like she shouldn't she know how to eat and so we have this idea sometimes that you know if I'm a therapist, people think I should have it all figured out. And I think it's the same with ESL. It's like, well, in order for me to teach ESL to kids, then I should be perfect. I'm sorry, did I say ESL, I meant SEL. Uh, but but did, I think sometimes we feel like in order to teach it, I need to be perfect at it. And that's not true at all, right? It's, it's really about understanding and, and learning and practicing, um, but not for the purpose of perfection, but rather for the impact that it can have on ourselves and others.
1: Right, the impact that can have on ourselves and others. So what kind of advice, knowing that what you've seen as a dean, knowing your experiences within the classroom and knowing the mentality and the thoughts and concerns of your colleagues, what kind of advice would you give to um, educators? Even high, let's, even high school secondary educators out there were saying, I don't have time. So we went through the benefits of it, So what would your advice be to them?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that I would say is um, I've never met a teacher who had really strong classroom management and who didn't need a lot of support with discipline who also said, I don't have time for SEL. So there's a correlation there, right, between teachers who understand that when you're willing to invest some time and energy. And it's not a lot. You will invest so much less time and energy than you will invest time and energy managing your classroom, because you're going to have classroom management problems, right? If, if you're not actively engaging in that way. And so, because it's going to mean kids don't feel totally safe in your classroom, ki- emotionally, I mean, safe. Um, yeah, right. And kids are not going to love hanging out with you. right? And so they're, because they're not going to feel that connection with you. And SEL is fundamentally about, I mean, it's about many things, but it is about connection, right? And so, so if if you don't have that, and, and, and actually um, there's a lot of research that shows that the most important feeling that a student can have at school that, that will promote learning is the feeling of belonging, that belonging is mm -hmm. so important. And so if you have strong uh, connections with kids, they will feel a sense of belonging with you or in your classroom. And like I said earlier, you might struggle because you're like, I really struggle connecting with this particular group of kids. So for me as a Dean and as an educator, I had trouble actually connecting with really high achieving kids. Like, I'm like, I don't get it. I was such a like bad kid in, in high school that like, I don't, I don't even understand these like really good high achieving kids. And so I would often, I found my, I, th- I would, I found, I caught myself kind of keeping them invisible in my classroom. And I realized, wait a minute, that's not fair to them either, right? Like, and so really tra- starting to expand your awareness around who am I including and who am I excluding, but it doesn't mean that now I have to be some champion for the high achieving kids either because I can tap other colleagues who have strong connections with kids in that population. So
1: what right? you're saying is that's a, that's a huge, um, really, resource right there is that you're saying becoming more self-aware and just becoming more self-aware and so and of the social awareness as well and where you fit in that's social emotional learning. Exactly. That's all it is. is It's being aware of your feelings, what you are doing, the role that you have with your own students and even colleagues. And once you become aware of it and you accept it, you either roll with it more or you make some adjustments that are going to work for you, exactly. your classroom yeah. and others. And that's yes. really all that it is. Yes. It's on a continual basis. Not let me sit down and meditate about it. It's right. I mean, right? Because meditation is great, but it doesn't have to be an isolated time. It's right. just a mentality, an open mentality of reflection. So that's yes. a great that's a great suggestion for listeners also to begin with. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about disproportionality. We talked about some resources and feeling overwhelmed uh, as an educator. We also talked about the system and funding and not just thinking, great, we have funding, and then assuming that it's going to work. And if you're an educator out there and you feel as though you need to know more, then ask for more. Ask for, you ready? ask for different, because you may not be getting different. Why? Because the leadership who is ordering the different professional development might not be aware of how important that different topic is, or what it is, or what exists out there. So just because there you're being assigned to go to a new training, um, or if you're not, having any training. Speak up. Tell them what you need. Tell them the needs of your students. I think, you know what, Leah, I think that's a huge outcome of today's episode is really knowing who we are, knowing what we need, and not being afraid to say it and not caring, how am I going to look if I say, I need to learn more about this? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, 100%. I I think it's, so much of it comes down to perfectionism. And I think that as I, um, Elena Aguilar, she's, um, an amazing, amazing educator and coach. Uh, but she says that, you know, teachers under often fall into two categories, uh, either they're perfectionists or they're martyrs. (laughs) And, um, I think I I probably fall into a little bit of both, but it's that perfectionism idea that like, I can't possibly do this if I'm not really perfect at it and and nobody expects you to be perfect at it in fact social emotional learning is really about learning how to and what great modeling for students right learning how to like i'm going to try something i'm not good at it yet i'm willing to fail then i'm going to get up and do it again because that's what we want our kids to do all the time right and so it's really that matter of of um letting go of the perfectionism and and i think just kind of exploring it and exploring what genuine connection can look like with students and and modeling those skills for them
1: Leah, when you mention um, the mindset of perfectionism and being a mentor, this is also something that you really specialize in. Would you like to share um, with the individuals and listening right now, uh, how they can reach you and, and what, what it is that you offer to other individuals other than students as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me at leapennelli.com is my website. And I also am on uh, Facebook and Instagram at Leah Pennelli, that's L-I-A, Pinelli at um, L-I-A-P-I-N-E-L-L-I. And I actually am no longer um, a public school educator anymore. I am now a life coach. Um, and you can read that whole story on my website, but essentially I, I grew into life coaching out of um, really wanting to have more life tools to offer students um, at school. And with for my own students, and um I now am life coaching full-time. So I would love to hear from some of your listeners. And I always love talking about education. It's one of my huge passions. And so I really appreciated getting to come on.
1: Well, there's a uh, there's a link there that we discussed earlier, which is that self-regulation piece, being able to manage your thoughts, feelings, and actions as a student, a child, as well as an adult. And so I really feel like you're 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 living your purpose and you're still out there, you're helping in so many ways. I will have your information in our description here so that way people know where and how to reach you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure learning from you, really making us think about education, what we need and how as educators, if we're feeling overwhelmed, then we need to speak up and ask for what we need based on what our students also need. So thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you again. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com. Amazon, and TeachersPayTeachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.